Hey, thanks for hitting play, because you're listening to your Mother's Mother podcast, the only podcast where I go all across the nation into Thrive Senior Living Communities and talk to your mother's mother. I'm your host. Today, we're talking to Melissa from Thrive at Augusta, which is a Thrive Senior Living Community in Augusta, Georgia. For more information about Thrive at Augusta and other Thrive Senior Living Communities, visit thrivesl.com. All right, so I'm at Thrive at Augusta here with Melissa. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm always <laughs> ready to do whatever you want. Well, before, earlier in the day, you were actually at the same table beating someone in Scrabble. That's correct. Robbie and I play every day around 1 o'clock, and we have quite a contest going. And uh, he's gotten better and actually, I've gotten a little bit better, too. But it depends on who draws the better tiles. That's how life is, right? <laughs> That's right. What kind of tiles you're drawing? Uh, well, he keeps drawing the big ones. I said, how do you do that? And he said he didn't know. And I thought, I know he doesn't cheat, but <laughs> it just seems funny. He always gets the big ones. <laughs> uh, one story that I found interesting was that your uh, father-in-law was a bootlegger. Well, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> Frank's family came over in the early 1800s, or the late 1800s, and his father had uh, served in the Army and sent his mother over. I guess she was 17 when she came over. And they came from Hungary, and she stayed in Cleveland, I think, as a housekeeper until Frank's father was able to come over. And then they moved to Chicago, and he worked in a foundry there but he was he had some serious uh, health problems and uh, I guess when the depression hit they were in serious problems his brother used to say that they were so poor but he was so his father was so proud that the people that were on relief used to give them things <laughs> and uh, so he wasn't able to work so you've got to do something to keep a living <laughs> <laughs> and he found out that he could, could uh, make booze without too much trouble. And um, so that's pretty much what he did during the Depression. And uh, Frank was little, and he didn't really know what was going on. He just knew what his father and mother were busy inside, that he <laughs> spent either the day outside or the day inside. Anyway, they survived. So if he's spending the day outside, that must mean that they are making the moonshine inside, correct? Oh, yes. I think <laughs> probably, I, I'm not sure. But what always uh, surprised me was his mother was involved, too. She had to be. <laughs> she had to be. And I bet she made it taste all the better. Well, I th it had to do something with uh, pears. Hey, you got to get by. And people yeah. need to drink. Yeah, yeah. Somehow or another, they managed to buy a house and hang on to it. So uh, The American dream, buying a house and hanging on to it. Yeah. Especially yeah. these days. That's exactly so right. So speaking of houses, here's a segue for you. So his father is in bootlegging a little bit. Your father, I heard, was a president of a bank. Yes. What was that like <laughs> growing up? Talk about two different worlds. Oh, talk about, yes, two very different worlds. Well, my, my father was really a very prominent man. He was involved not only in banking, uh, he was very involved with the, uh, well, now the United Church of Christ, but at that time it was Congregational Church. And um, it, it, it's hard to describe what it's like to, to grow up with a father who was so well-known. 
And you have to be very careful because you don't do anything to <laughs> embarrass him. So we were always told, don't do anything that would make your father the embarrassed. And, and we didn't. I had two sisters. And we were all four years apart. We just did the things we were supposed to do, and, and we did not do the things we weren't supposed to do. <laughs> there wasn't one time where you broke the rules or you got away with something or that you kept from him. You were just a good kid. Yeah, really. I grew up during World War II, and this made it a whole different kind of life. And uh, I think what the kids are going through with this pandemic now, and it's so totally different from what we went through with World War II because we were all patriotic. We had to be. We knew what we were, what we were trying to save. And um, a lot of the boys that I went to uh, high school with, uh, I graduated from high school in 1945, so some of them had quit school and already gone into service. And um, were coming coming back uh, and going to college, many of them on GI Bill. And they might not have been able to go to, to college if it hadn't been for the Army. But uh, it, was, it was very different because things were rationed. And... Uh, we did out, did without, but we didn't really resent it because we knew that's the way it had to be. Whereas now, we really resent the things that are going on. And it was a very different feeling. We were patriotic. This is not a patriotic thing that we're going through right now. Yeah, some people try to paint it as to be patriotic. You know, it's it's uh, they say wear a mask, and that's patriotic. And right. I, I think that can be. Yeah. But uh, you don't feel very patriotic when you're sitting inside uh, watching three seasons uh, of a TV show on Netflix. That's right. And people are not paying attention to this. They're doing pretty much what you think what the young people are doing. They're doing pretty much what they want to do regardless. And that was not the way it was in World War II because we, we knew it had to be that way. This generation doesn't think it has to be this way. Well, not yeah. when you have TikTok, when well, you just do a few dances. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just dance our way out of anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> what was it like? Um, so you're in, you're in high school. You were a freshman in high school when the war started, when Pearl Harbor happened. Yes. Do you remember that vividly? Can you tell me oh, about that moment? Yes, I do. Uh, we were on our way home from church, and uh, my dad turned the radio on, and we were listening, and we couldn't believe it. We just literally could not believe that anything like that could possibly happen. And we thought, now what does this mean? We, we really didn't know what on earth this was going to mean. And uh, we were certainly all aware of the war that was going on over in Europe. And we, I think we thought we should be involved to help, <coughs> help Britain and France, but we didn't expect to be attacked on the other side by the Japanese. And, uh, Surprise attack. And did uh, yeah. any of your teachers in high school, do you remember them ever going on any rants or did your father have any um, bold opinions about our stance in that situation at the time? Um, I think we all knew that we had to defend ourselves. And um, we knew that if the United States didn't get involved, something terrible was going to happen. We we just had to do it, and it was uh, patriotism was very very strong at that time, and I don't think we're as patriotic now as we were at that time. Um, 
I feel it's a, it, I mean, it was a, literally a simpler time. Uh, yes, it no, was. no internet. Um, yeah, we didn't know everything that was going on. And that was really kind of a good thing. Sometimes right. we know way too much. It also speaks to the fact that um, when you have clear cut enemies, a, a clear cut enemy than the Nazis. I can't yeah. think of any clear cut enemy than someone who's trying to invade your country when you're. Speaking of uh, cyber terrorism or a virus, um, mm-hmm. it's all or terrorism. It's all fractured now. Everything feels very fractured. Yeah, we kept hearing stories about what was happening and what the Germans were doing to the Jews, and we couldn't quite understand this. In January of 1941, our church burned to the ground, and it was a it was an electrical thing. It was not anything was said. And we didn't know what on earth we were going to do. We met in the high school that next, it was on a Saturday night, and that Sunday we met in the high school. We had an offer from all the churches, which was a wonderful thing, but that would mean we'd have to have our services in the afternoon or something. We had an offer from the Jewish synagogue, and for 23 months our church met at the Jewish synagogue and it was a wonderful experience. And uh, it got to the point, if, if our minister was ill or out, uh, Rabbi Feldman would preach, and if Rabbi Feldman was out, our minister would preach. And it turned out that our organist became their organist. There's a still a very strong tie between the Jewish synagogue and uh, the Congregational Church. That's beautiful. And did you learn anything? Uh, what did you learn from that experience as far as did you learn anything about the Jewish culture or oh, the yeah. religion? Oh, yeah, because they, they did. They showed us the Torah. They told us a lot of things. And uh, when you realize what the Germans were doing to the Jews, and there, there isn't that much there isn't that much difference. You know, it's, it's a different religion. It isn't... Uh, I, I don't understand the the bias that people have, and and it's always troubled me. And interestingly enough, when I was in Detroit, and uh, I, we hadn't quite found a church that that we liked, and I liked to sing, and I was bowl, I was bowling and uh, I was bowling with this gal who happened to be Jewish. And uh, I don't know, I had a split or something, and I said, that looks like do re something or other. And she said, do you sing it? I said, yeah. And she said, would you like to sing in a group? I said, I would love to. I said, I said do you need an alto? And I said, she said, yes. And I said, well, that's what I sing. She said, do you mind that they're Jewish? And I said, do they mind that I'm not? <laughs> so for eight years that we were in Detroit, I sang with a, an all-Jewish group, and uh, we did. The band who was in charge wrote this beautiful oratorial. We worked on it for, oh gosh, over a year. And, and this was an all women's group, but he also had an all men's group. And probably one of the most exciting things I ever did was when we performed that oratorial uh, in a Jewish synagogue. And uh, I had one of the solos, and uh, one of the girls translated it for me so that I knew what I was singing. But it was a, it was just a marvelous experience. So my life has been entwined with the, the, the 
the, the Jews off and on. Now, interestingly enough, my son-in-law is Jewish. <laughs> That's a great ending. Yeah, it was a great ending. He is, he is a wonderful, wonderful son-in-law. I couldn't ask for anyone any better. And my, my friends are jealous, jealous of all the things that he does for us. <laughs> That's he, great. He, he fixes care packages for us because we can't get out and shop. Pretty soon a big box will arrive with candy and cookies and brownies that he makes and everything. It's been, yeah, it's been a wonderful experience. So so you've heard of the freshman 15. He might give you the COVID-19 as far as 19 pounds of if he's sending you all these cookies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he makes wonderful brownies. <laughs> How has it been this year um, living through 2020 as far as you've lived... Uh, through, I guess, uh, some of the great best of times in American history, and yes. uh, maybe some of the some of the downtimes. As far as rating years go, is twenty twenty the worst year? Oh, I wouldn't say it was the worst year. Uh, it is in that that my husband's health is declining, and that is very very hard to watch to see a man who has always been able to do everything, and a man who all of a sudden can't do anything. And uh, that that's very been very very difficult. Well, tell me, how did y'all meet? We met on blind day in freshman year in college. <laughs> Where did you go to college? Uh, he went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York, and I went to Russell Sage College, in, also in Troy, New York. And uh, freshman year, we had a blind date, and I wasn't very impressed with him at all. And uh, I thought, well, I won't see him again. Well, then he called. Oh, well, what the heck? I'll go out with him again. (laughs) Persistence, guys. You hear that? Persistence. (laughs) Got to wear him down. Well, there was a religious difference, too. He was Catholic and I was not. When you say you weren't Catholic, were you Protestant or just Uh, a non-believer? No, Congregationalist. How how is a congregation? I've never heard that term. How is a Congregationalist different than a Protestant? Well, that's a Protestant. It is part of it. The Congregational Church merged. Now it's part of the United Church of Christ, the UCC Church. You know, I was brought up in the church. My father was very, very involved in the church. At that time, the Catholic Church was much stricter than it is now. And and, uh, there was just felt I had to be a good whatever I was going to be. And I couldn't be a good Catholic. You know, we kept going out together, and this got to be freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and <laughs> we're still going together. Meantime, the one that I thought I was going to marry had come back from overseas, and uh, so I kind of ditched Frank for a while, and then... Uh, <laughs> Poor Frank. He put in the time. How long well, did you well, ditch Frank for? Well, the, over the summer, and... I mean, it was so he lived in Chicago. I lived in Connecticut, so we weren't together in the summertime. And uh, Bud came home, and he was over at the house every day, day after day. I got so tired of it. I thought, I gosh, I can't stand this. <laughs> she missed Frank. Well, the good thing I did do, I I talked Bud into going to college, and he went up to RPI, and then I fixed him up with another date, and. Uh, you know, Frank and I finally got to the point. Where I said, "You know, we need to talk about this religion thing because I can't change. I can't do it." And so how did that work out? How did, did you get married in a Catholic church? No, he changed. Ladies, listen <laughs> to Melissa here. <laughs> he said, "Well, if you won't change, then he said, then I will." 
And he's been a wonderful convert. We've been very, very involved in the United Methodist Church for many years. And uh, we were part of the group that started Wesley United Methodist Church. And we started that in 1990. And we were very excited. That's probably one of the most useful things we've ever did, done in our lives. And uh, we started the first Sunday. And we were excited. We thought we set up 100 chairs and... We thought, maybe we've overdone it. The very first Sunday, we had 250-some-odd people turn up for church, which showed that they needed a mainline church in Columbia County. And uh, we are now the largest United Methodist Church in uh, our district. That's amazing. About 2,800. I I think you deserve a medal for not only that, but also for converting a Catholic. (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, my son did the same thing. (laughs) Twice in the family. Yes. Man, I bet they have a photo of you in the Catholic Church at uh, Archdiocese, like wanted. On a a dartboard. You're on the Pope's radar. (laughs) Well, we were raised in the church. We raised our children in the church. And and my son was the same way. He said, I I think Leslie had had her doubts about the Catholic Church about that time anyway, and she was ready to change. And she wanted to wait until her mother and father retired to Florida before she did, but she said, I can't change. I've got to do it now. When, when the kids were little. And they taught Sunday school and are very much, still very much involved in the church. So, And tell me, that reminds me of a story Robbie told me. So I heard you had an interesting story with a foreign exchange student. Oh, good grief, yes. <laughs> I forgot I told him that. Let's hear the story of the foreign exchange student. Uh, well, our son was taking German, and uh, so they were writing back and, and forth, and then... Uh, he, I, I don't remember all the circumstances now, except that uh, this one family sponsored him and brought him over, and he was going to spend the summer with the different ones that were involved. And uh, our son was working at a restaurant at that time, so I spent more time with this <laughs> this little man. <laughs> this foreign, this German foreign exchange student. Yes. This was a high school. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Young man. Okay. Yeah. And he walked in and he was smoking. And, the, and, you know, they were 16 or 17 at the time. I thought, this is not good. And so that was the first clue that I thought, this isn't going to go very well. And I thought, well, I'll stick with it. Well, he would ask questions and then he would kind of disappear. And then Paul would go off to work. And there I was. And I know where this kid was. And then he, uh, he spoke enough English that he could get by. And uh, he had bought a book on something that made me think he was thinking about he might just disappear and, and stay in the United States. And I thought, well, I'm going to be responsible for that. So I thought, well, I know what I could do about this. So, What was the book that he bought to make you? Was it like 10 ways to not go back to the country you're from? Something like that. 10 something. ways to extend your visa yeah. illegally. Yeah. yeah. Not a good book. Yeah, and uh, so we have a summer cottage out in the western part of Michigan. So I thought, well, and it's on an island. I said, I'll take them out there, and we can't get into any trouble out there. (laughs) 
So we got out there, and there were, you know, 30-some-odd steps down to the water. We got out there, and he went flying down those steps and ran out the pier and into a boat. And I thought, now what? And I thought, I hope he can swim. <laughs> so he ran down the steps towards the pier and then hopped on a boat? He jumped in one of the rowboats and took off. <laughs> Did you ever see him again? Oh, yeah. He finally came back. And um, so I got on the telephone and I called the other parents that were involved. I said, I can't handle this. I said, you've got to come and get him. So they had him for about two days. Then they sent him back to Germany. <laughs> this poor foreign exchange student. I feel like all he did wrong was uh, smoke. <laughs> and read a few Cavalier and, books. And run away. And run on a boat. But he came back. So he, there, came there, back. he came back. Well, he didn't know where else to go. There must have been... Was he very flighty? Was there anything else about him that just kind of made your life a living hell for those years? <sighs> well, I, did, I, hadn't, I didn't trust him. I didn't know what he was going to do. I had no idea. He should. I bet you know what? He probably should have uh, spoken better English. Well, I don't think he was actually an exchange student. Uh, he was actually a 42-year-old man yeah. <laughs> posing as a 17-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he was uh, one of these things where they w were writing back and forth. And I don't think he was actually sponsored by any, any one group. Um, That's a great con right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like you can get away with it easier back then you would than you would today. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't think that I don't think it ever would have happened today. And um, it was, you know, it was it was because I felt responsible for him, but I didn't have any control. And as I say, my pa, my, my son just kept running off to work. So deal with it. <laughs> it's hard to have control over a forty-two-year-old German foreign exchange student who smokes. Pretty much. Pretty much. And is always trying to leave. And do you remember his name? I run away. Uh, no, I don't. I don't remember his name at all. Isn't that awful? <laughs> oh, and so your uh, your kids graduate high school. What mm -hmm. were you doing? Are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you working? What What has been your kind of passion in life? I retired when I was um, pregnant with our daughter. I said, I've retired when I, when I, in 1952, and I haven't worked since, as, except as a volunteer. We always said, well, we, we never worked for pay, but we did work. Yeah, raising kids, a lot of work, I can, I can tell you that. Oh, well, I had a good time, played a lot of golf, played a lot of bridge, and uh, I've had a wonderful life. And Frank and I have talked about it and said, when was the, what, what do you think were the best years of, that we've been married for 70 years. And we talked about it really not too long ago and decided that the 14 years that we lived in Ohio were probably the best years of our married life. Uh, and it's where we raised the children. And it was a small town. And it was a very unique neighborhood. Uh, first of all, we were almost all Methodists. <laughs> and most of us sang in the choir. And it was just... Uh, our next door neighbor was Lutheran, but we, and they were an older couple, but they put up with the rest of us. But it was just a very unique upbringing, and everybody was at home in each other's homes, and the kids were too, and, and you didn't have to worry about where they were going because you know somebody else was looking out for them as well. So what is it? What is retired life like? I feel like um, I can't imagine being retired um just because my life is so busy, I'm a new father of a seven-month-old. I kind of look forward someday to retiring, but after, now that you've been retired for well over 20 years, 
I've been retired since 1952. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> You've been retired for 750 years now. Yeah. <laughs> Give us some tips and tricks. No, but really, what's it been like being retired with well, with, your, with your husband before from the 50s, 70s, 80s, and uh, then all, also the 90s uh, with your husband in early 2000s? What's it been like being retired? Well, we've we've had a good time. Um, it it all of a sudden. Your husband's your best friend. <laughs> I mean, he always has been, but you had another life besides what you did with him. He and I have always enjoyed doing the same things, and we've done them together. We both play golf. We both like to fish. We both like to play bridge. We do have done everything together. And um, and so we pretty much continued to, to do that. Uh, it, it's it's a different feeling. All of, I've forgotten what it's like for him not to have to get up to go to work anymore. <laughs> but he worked for George Ironworks here, and it was mandatory retirement on, at 65. So that was that was okay with us. And tell me, are you someone who's extremely online, or are you extremely offline? When you ask me if I'm online, I don't know how, how to answer it. It must be I'm offline. <laughs> I guess I'll go through some apps. This is something I like to do. And so, okay. do you let me know if you're, you have this app. Are you on Facebook? No. Instagram? No. Snapchat? No. TikTok? <laughs> I don't want to play. I don't want to play tic-tac-toe. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do not have a computer. I was about to say favorite website. Do you ever log on to the one here at the, the community? Uh, no. I don't know how to do any of that. That's the key to happiness, I think, is not being on the computer. <laughs> Because I have one in my pocket, and it drives me. I mean, I love it, but I also hate it. Oh, well, if I really want to know something, I ask my kids. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to get by. I like that. Uh, and, you know, they're, they keep... They, Frank has a tablet, and uh, it's, he has Parkinson's, and... Uh, it's it's gotten to the point where you, you really can't do anything on that tablet anymore, and I don't know anything about it at all. And uh, so we're really kind of out of the loop on that. And up until probably a month or so, we were able to get our church service, and he can't do that anymore either. Uh, it's just, as I say, his, his health is just going downhill very quickly. And... Um, it's just hard to watch. Have there been any advances in medication or um, in treating Parkinson's in the past 20 years that you've seen that have been helpful? Well, he was diagnosed when he was 79, and now he's 92. So he's really done very well. Um, and they change his medication. He just gets very, very frustrated because uh, he it just thinks he can't do. He just can't do them anymore. And... I can't begin to tell you how many pills he takes a day. Just, I, I don't know, probably 15, 16 different kinds of pills that he takes. And he does do that himself because I can't keep track of him. And uh, we've got somebody who comes in at night and stays with him because he falls. And uh, I can't get him up. And uh, so somebody is, is with him at night now. And he's very careful, but he he moves just moves so slowly. He's got this electric uh, cart now so that he can get around because I got to the point where it was, um, it was getting too hard for me to push him wherever we would go. And uh, 
but he's doing okay. He's just just slowly going away. That's all. It's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. And a lot of the people I interview, they don't have their, their loved one still with them. So I, I know it's a struggle, but the fact that you still have them with you oh, at yeah. this age is yep. a great thing. Oh, our kids are thrilled to death that they're, <laughs> they said, you should have mother. We're the only ones that still have our parents and everybody wants to adopt you. And I said, oh, well, feel free. We <laughs> we're adoptable. <laughs> not, not adaptable, but adoptable. <laughs> You know who isn't adoptable is that that poor young German uh, foreign exchange student um, <laughs> you sent away. <laughs> sent away. <laughs> you know he's he's <laughs> before he came over he had sent Paul a package and it said candy on it and it got through and it was it was full of fireworks. <laughs> A little too soon for to trust a German with fireworks in the year of, you know, a few decades after the World War II. Am I right? Oh, dear. That should have been clue right away then that we never should have had him come over at all. These kids and their fireworks. Yeah. Ah. Well, Paul went, Paul went over. His uh, teacher took a group over. So he was in Germany for, I don't know, six weeks, I think, something like that. But uh, was never in the same place where this kid was, so he had <laughs> he hadn't seen him before, <laughs> and never again. I promise. <laughs> it was probably the foreign exchange student's father who got these letters. He's yeah. like, you know what? I want to start a new life. Yeah. I love fireworks. <laughs> we'll, I love rowboats. Let's we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, speaking with me tonight. Well, my pleasure. I don't know that I said whatever you wanted me to say i just kind of ran off at the mouth <laughs> i was it was great an honor and a pleasure hearing your stories so i like to end every episode with uh, your favorite saying or proverb do you have one? Oh, i don't actually let's we're just going to use that sound as your favorite saying yeah <laughs> this guy wants me to say my favorite thing <laughs> i can't i uh... I don't know. I, I somebody has asked us, um, what, "What do you do to have a wedding that will last for seventy years?" And I said, "Well, it's what my father always told me: uh, marriage is a sixty-sixty proposition. You both have to give a little." Thanks for listening to your mother's mother podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love sitting down and talking with Melissa. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Follow us on Instagram at your mother's mother. Should we do a TikTok? Nah. <laughs>